70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hai, jumpa kembali bersama saya Eko Endriwiono dari Nganjuk, Jawa Timur. Di tengah modernisasi Hi, it's a pleasure to say hi to you all. My name is Eko Endri Wiono, and I'm from Eastern Java, Indonesia. Thanks to KBS World Radio, I feel like I can keep up with the fast-changing modern world. KBS World Radio's easily accessible platforms are a blessing to many listeners, including a long-time listener like myself, who enjoys shortwave radio at night. KBS World Radio is very special. Everyone knows about K-pop these days, not just the young people, but the older generations as well. KBS World Radio is the quintessential K-pop channel that brings the whole package. Congratulations on your 70th birthday, and I will look forward to the channel's continued success in the future. semangat. 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. It's Friday the 20th of October and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang South Korea has hit back at Russian accusations that the US-led hegemony is raising tensions on the Korean peninsula, saying that North Korea is responsible for the current tensions. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. The Bank of Korea kept interest rates steady for the sixth consecutive time this week, but another rate hike by the US Fed is said to be looming. We'll discuss the situation for Weekly Economy Review. And coming up for Movie Spotlight, we review a hit local rom-com called Love Reset and the latest Martin Scorsese epic, Killers of the Flower Moon. Let's begin, Crew 24. South Korea is zeroing in on moves by North Korea and Russia to join China in standing up against what they called U.S.-led hegemony, starting with Pyongyang, stating that Pyongyang and Moscow are raising tensions in the region. Uh, KBS World Radio News Editor Gu Hijin joins us in the studio now to give us the latest on the brewing tensions on the Korean Peninsula, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hijin, hello. Hello, Jango. So Pyongyang and Moscow each released official statements Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov's visit to the north and his meeting with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un yesterday both heavily blasting the U.S. and its allies for raising tensions on the peninsula uh, by deploying strategic assets and holding joint military drills in the region. Mm-hmm. So what more can you tell us? Well, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un called for the faithful fulfillment of agreements made with Russian President Vladimir Putin to establish a stable and forward-looking uh, relations with Russia. According to the North's official Korean Central News Agency Friday, uh, Kim made the remarks on Thursday when he met with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov in Pyongyang. 
Kim reportedly suggested that the two nations improve the welfare of their peoples and strongly push to build a strong nation based on the agreements he and Putin reached in their summit last month. In Moscow, uh, Russia's foreign ministry and Lavrov, said Lavrov and his North Korean counterpart uh, Chesani, uh, agreed to, uh, during the talks on Thursday, to uh, sternly respond to Washington's hegemonic uh, policy that destabilizes the state of affairs in the Asia-Pacific. Seoul, meanwhile, asserted that this is just a smokescreen and that it's in fact North Korea that's responsible for the current tensions with its nuclear development program. Indeed, a South Korean uh, foreign ministry official who declined to be identified told reporters that Lavrov's comment uh, that Russia supports negotiations without preconditions is an apparent effort to shift the focus of the international community away from the possibility of illegal military cooperation between Moscow and Pyongyang. The official said the nature of the problem is North Korea's nuclear weapons and missile development and urged Russia to immediately suspend engagement in any illegal military cooperation that uh, threatens South Korea's security and violates, violates UN Security Council resolutions. South Korea's Unification Ministry also added on Friday that it's keeping a close eye on the possibility of Russian President uh, Putin's visit to the north. Let's turn now to the situation in Israel and the evacuation efforts that are ongoing. Uh, South Koreans were among the 83 people evacuated aboard a flight of Japan's self-defense forces amid the escalating conflict between the Jewish state and the Palestinian militant group Hamas. This follows a similar move last week by South Korea helping evacuate Japanese nationals from Israel. Can you tell us more? Well, according to Japan's Kyoto News, the KC-767 aerial refueling and transport aircraft brought the passengers from Tel Aviv to Israel's eastern neighbour, Jordan, uh, early Friday career time. The passengers are reportedly, uh, reportedly consisting of 60 Japanese nationals and four non-Japanese family members, as well as 18 South Koreans and a non South Korean family member are scheduled to arrive at Haneda Airport in Tokyo early Saturday. Last week, 51 Japanese nationals were evacuated from Israel on a South Korean military transport aircraft. Tokyo's Foreign Minister Yoko Kamikawa thanked Seoul for helping Japanese nationals depart from Israel in a phone call with South Korean Foreign Minister Park Jin on Sunday, vowing to provide active cooperation in case South Korea faces a similar situation. Meanwhile, the U.S. President Joe Biden on Thursday announced unprecedented large-scale emergency security funding of some 100 billion U.S. dollars to assist war-torn Israel as well as Ukraine. He also touched on the need to counter threats from North Korea. Can you elaborate? Well, in a rare Oval of Office address, uh, Biden said the urgent funding request will be sent to Congress on Friday, uh, stating that the world history is at an inflection point. The U.S. leader said Israel's and uh, Ukraine's respective victories are important for U.S. national security and that uh, the emergency assistance will pay dividends for American security for generations. Biden said Hamas and Russia both want to 
annihilate a neighboring democracy. He said uh, Russia is relying on North Korea and Iran for their weapons and drones, respectively, in its attacks against Ukraine, uh, but that he will not send U.S. troops to the war-ravaged country. As for the decades-long Israel-Palestine conflict, the uh, president stressed that both sides have the equal right to live in the region in a safe, dignified and peaceful manner, reaffirming his resol- resolve to send a humanitarian aid to Palestinians in Gaza. Turning back to issues at home, prosecutors continue to raid uh, the presidential archives for a second day in its investigation into allegations that the Moon Jae-in administration manipulated real estate statistics. What can you tell us? Well, the Daejeon District Prosecutor's Office again sent a team to the presidential archives in Sejong City on Friday to seize documents related to the possible doctoring of uh, statistics upon a request for an investigation by the Board of Audit and Inspection. The latest move comes as the prosecution conducted a search and seizure targeting the Korea National Statistical Office and the Korea Real Estate Board, as well as the ministries of land, finance and labor to secure relevant information and conduct data forensics on digital files. The BAI has alleged that the previous administration and the land ministry exerted undue influence on the REB's statistics related to data on income and employment as well as housing prices to favour the administration at least 94 times from 2017 to 2021. The prosecutors also raided the presidential archives last year to investigate the repatriation of two North Korean fishermen and an earlier than a scheduled closure of an ageing nuclear reactor. And finally, President Yoon sang approval rating has hit it has hit its lowest point in six months. Uh, Can you break down the Gallup Korea survey for us? Well, according to the results of the survey of 1,000 people over the age of 18 across the country from Tuesday to Thursday, 30% of respondents had a positive evaluation of the president, down three percentage points from last month's survey. The percentage of respondents who gave a negative evaluation rose three percentage points to 61%. Reasons for support of Yoon's performance started with diplomacy at 26%, followed by defence and security at 10% and general performance at 4%, while reasons for disapproval were the economy, livelihoods and prices at 17%, unilateralism at 10% and poor communication at 9%. What's noticeable is that even Daegu and North Gyeongsang province considered ruling party strongholds showed relatively high disapproval. Indeed. The poll showed their negative rating at 48% compared to 45% who responded positively. Meanwhile, the approval ratings for the ruling People Power Party stood at uh, 33%, while the main opposition Democratic Party saw a 34% approval rating, with the PPP dropping one percentage point from a survey a week prior as the DP remained flat. The survey had had a confidence level of 95% with a margin of error or of plus or minus 3.1 percentage points. That's all for our news briefing today. He's in. Thank you for those updates. Thank you.
Coming up next is in-depth news analysis. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. On Thursday, the Bank of Korea held its key interest rate steady for the sixth straight time. It remains at 3.5%. The central bank began its rate freeze back in February after delivering seven consecutive rate hikes from April the year before. The BOK cited a slowdown in the country's economic growth and heightened uncertainties, including the prolonged war in Ukraine and rising household debts, for its decision. Officials also kept the door open for future hikes. To get some expert analysis on the central bank's decision and issues surrounding it for this week's weekly economy review, we're joined in the studio now by economics professor Yang Jun-suk from the Catholic University of Korea. Professor Yang, hello. It's great to see you back in the studio. Happy to be here. Okay, so what was your immediate reaction to the BOK's rate decision? Okay, it was expected, it was understandable, but it was personally slightly disappointing. I was on the side which was leaning slightly toward raising the rates, uh, but the Bank of Korea did not seem to want to get into uh, potential problems that uh, were involved in raising the rates. Mm. Uh, Now, I sympathize with the Bank of Korea because they're really stuck between a rock and a hard place. There are reasons to lower the interest rates, and reasons to raise the interest rates. Mm. On the uh, lowering interest side, we have an economic slowdown with growth rate substantially below the potential growth rate. Uh, This year's growth rate is thought to be going to be around 1.4%. That's way below the Korea's potential growth rate of uh, lower 2% range. And uh, Credit organizations like Fitch are expecting the uh, growth rate to be even lower at 1%. Mm. Now, uh, then there is also increasing interest burden uh, for households and corporate debt. Uh, That's going to slow down the uh, recovery when it starts. It's also going to probably raise housing prices. Uh, But... Uh, on the side of raising the rates, we still have high inflation rate. Uh, over a 12-month period, it was 3.7%. Core inflation by OECD standards is 3.3%. We have, uh, we mentioned uh, burdens coming from already high household and corporate uh, debt. Mm. But if we lower the interest rate, that corporate debt and uh, household debt is going to get higher. Mm. Um, And then we have the weakening Korean won uh, with the uh, depreciation perhaps accelerating, though it's changing day by day. Uh, But uh, the currency market does seem to be a bit more unstable than it used to be about a month ago. Uh, so, And the uh, situation here is not predictable. Uh, the future may fall into either the uh, lowering uh, interest rate camp or rising interest rate camp. So basically, I think the Bank of Korea punted. Uh, so And uh, unlike mere weeks ago, uh, the uh, U.S. Fed, which were implying that they will probably raise the interest rate when they meet on November 1st, are now giving signals that they will not raise the uh, rates at their next meeting. Right. Uh, so uh, the uh, really short-term problem was, does Korea want to increase the interest rate reversal that's at the uh, highest historical level right now at two uh, percentage points. Uh, But since the U.S. Fed has said that they will not raise the rates this time around, uh, there was uh, no particular force forcing the uh, Bank of Korea to raise the rates this time. So basically, as I said, they punted. Right. So they 
hunted. Uh, I wanted to pick up on that last point as well about the US Fed's decision because uh, that has been a key concern about the interest rate gap between Korea and the US uh, widening. Uh, as you said, it currently stands at 1.75 to 2 percentage points. That's after the Fed held its benchmark uh, lending rate steady for a second time in September. And it's now at 5.25 to 5.5 percent range. But expectations, they were that, at least until recently, that the, the Fed would make one more hike before the end of the year. But you're saying that it might not happen now. Well, uh, the uh, the FOMC officials are have going on uh, have been saying that uh, because the ten uh, year Treasury bond rate has hit five uh, percent, it has hit five percent today. Everybody was expecting it, but this has been the uh, highest uh, yield rate for the ten uh, year Treasury bonds since the uh, global financial crisis in two thousand eight, uh, and a lot of Fed were say. Uh, FOMC members were saying that they were going to let the uh, higher long-term yields uh, work uh, for the uh, slowing down the economy, uh, and the higher rates here may not uh, necessitate lowering or raising the uh, interest rate, at least for the uh, next FOMC meeting. And then there's the insecurities which are coming from the uh, Israel-Gaza uh, Strip uh, War and that is making the oil prices really shaky right now. Uh, so uh, that is also fed into the uh, Fed's, I think, the planning process. Uh, now, uh, another problem uh, is that the uh, well, inflation is still higher than the Fed's goal of two percent. Sure. Uh, so right now, that does put the weight on Fed raising the rates once more. Uh, but uh, will they do that before the end of the year? That has become a bit questionable. Um, if the war worsens uh, and oil prices increase, then I think there's a fair chance that they may increase the interest rate again because a higher oil prices will uh, drive more inflation. Uh, but if the uh, war just makes things unstable, uh, then perhaps they will keep uh, the uh, rates uh, as is until the end of the year and maybe even up to the uh, beginning of next year. Mm. Uh, but it's really questionable right now. It really depends on what happens in the uh, Middle East. Mm. Now, uh, one of the reasons why we should be keeping an eye out on this is that the if you look at the last year's uh, or excuse me, the uh, last session's dot charts that were coming from the Fed, uh, they said that they were going to have the long-term interest rate at 2.5%. Mm. Uh, and that is higher than where it was during the pandemic. It's relatively higher uh, if you compare it to post-global financial crisis interest rates that we saw between 2008 and 2019. So they're implying that interest rates may fall back but it will not fall back to the levels that we've seen uh, during the uh, pandemic, okay. definitely. Okay. And it may even go back to period before the global financial crisis. Uh, so don't expect the interest rate to go back that low. That's much further down the road, right? So in the meantime, what does the BOK and the Fed do? So are you saying the Fed might not 
uh, raised interest rates by the end of the year, but they're still expected to next year. So what does the BOK do then? Do they continue to punt this decision uh, down the road until the Fed raises their rates and then follow suit afterwards? Or do they go first? Or do they even lower the interest rates because uh, in Korea with household debt so high there are calls especially from the public to lower the interest rates well I'm sorry to uh, sorry for the households which are going to have uh, additional burden but if the uh, central bank and the government is not ready to lower the rates back after raising it or excuse me uh, if they're not ready to uh, raise the rates back after lowering it then they should not lower it in the first place. Mm. Uh, right now, we seem to be addicted on debt. Uh, we have very high corporate debt as well as household debt, and that can cause a major weakness in the economy in the future, as we saw in China and as we saw in Japan in the la uh, last 10, 20, now coming up on 30 years. Uh, so we need to manage the debt. Uh, but the problem is I think people are focused on short-term pains without really concentrating on what the uh, long-term risk may be. And we're seeing some of that long-term risk play out in China. Now, we're not in as bad a position as in China, uh, but still, we suffer a lot of the similar problems. And that's where I mentioned that the interest rate will not go back to the uh, pandemic levels. That's where it becomes very important mm. because right now we're in a period of uh, interest rate reversal where U.S. rates are higher. Uh, and if you look at the previous period, uh, then that usually uh, that could last up to about 25 months. That's the longest period of interest rate reversal we had. But no one really believes that Korea can permanently have an interest rate that is lower than right. the U.S. Right. Um, and uh, if the U.S. goes back to a long-term interest rate of 2.5% and Korea is at 3.5% right now, that means... Even if Korea decides that we can have the same interest rate as the United States, uh, we can only go down by one percentage point, right. whereas so the, the U.S. can drop it by two or three percentage points. Uh, so even if the interest rates uh, let up, even if the U.S. starts lowering the interest rates, we may not be able to keep up with the U.S. point per point. Right. So that is the, perhaps the new normal that we have to watch out for in the future. Finally, we thought we'd get your thoughts on some remarks made by a senior official at the International Monetary Fund before we go. So on Friday, Krishna uh, Srinivasan, uh, director of the Asia and Pacific uh, Department at the IMF, underlined the importance of fiscal health for South Korea, describing the country's regulations as a well-fleshed-out framework for medium-term management. He made the remarks during a briefing with Korean reporters on the sidelines of the IMF annual meetings in Morocco. On Seoul's policies, the official positively assessed a reduction in the fiscal deficit ratio, calling it appropriate and encouraging, and added it's important to maintain low debt levels to prepare against potential shocks. So, what's your take on the uh, director's assessment. Okay, I think he was uh, taking account of political realities in Korea, uh, but budget rules are basically second best solutions. And we see, we see this uh, in the next year's budget. Uh, because of the uh, economic slowdown, we are going to have tax receipts which are uh, lower than usual, but we still need to maintain high levels of spending, so we're going to have higher than 3% uh, 
deficit compared to the GDP, which was the uh, budget rule that the uh, current government wants to pass. Now, the best solution is to have a balanced budget over a business cycle. So during slowdowns, you may have higher deficits. Uh, during uh, uh, pickups, you would have surpluses. And over a cycle, you would have something close to a balanced budget. Korea did have that until about 2010, 2013. Uh, but Korea's deficit has grown tremendously in the five or six years. And I think that's making a lot of people, economists, politicians, very nervous. Uh, before uh, this uh, streak of higher deficit started, uh, the people in the uh, economic ministries thought it was their duty to uh, keep uh, the uh, government at surplus or at least keep the deficit as low as possible, that commitment does not seem to be around right now. Mm. So even though this is not the best solution, uh, I think uh, the IMF and the uh, current government, as well as a lot of economists, uh, believe that having a annual 3% goal uh, is ha better than nothing. It's better than having the deficits pile up. Uh, but still, the best solution is to have a balanced budget over the whole business cycle, over a cycle of years, rather than just year by year. Uh, that can lead to a situation like what we're going to have next year, where when we need a, a large government spending to boost the economy, the money will not be there. We'll wrap it up there for this week's Weekly Economy Review. Professor Yang, as always, thank you for your analysis and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 40.8 points, or 1.69% on Friday, to close the week at 2,375.00. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, losing 14.79 points, or 1.89%, to close at 769.25. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 5-1 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,352.41. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have with us in the studio now our news editor, Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Daniel. Good to see you again. Yes, happy Friday. Uh, let's get straight into our first story. What do you have for us? People in Korea on Friday have been reading about an interesting trend among millennials and Gen Z these days. They challenge themselves to use cash only. Among people in their 20s and 30s, there are online communities even dedicated to sharing tips on how to be thrifty, miserly, Scrooge-like. <laughs> Some are even going with names like beggar groups and share vlogs about their miserly lifestyles. Right, this is interesting. I guess to uh, older generations, using cash is nothing out of the ordinary. But uh, for younger people, especially in Korea, uh, it's understandable how inconvenient it might be, uh, you know, now that we're in uh, the 21st century. So how are people saving money, money as part of this trend? 
Well, the banks are going to have to do some research and start setting up more ATMs again. Uh, local <laughs> a story news- which we right. covered earlier this week, yes. <laughs> so a local news outlet interviewed a college student named Han who moved to Seoul by himself from Wonju to study. While his parents cover dormitory costs, he tries to be self-sufficient with living expenses through part-time work. He concluded the best way to be frugal with spending is to take on a cash-only challenge. Han said it's limited to 20,000 won per day, and he claims using only cash and keeping track of his expenses with a ledger helps him reduce spendings and increase savings. Other frugal acts younger people are trying to include, trying to do these days include buying discount items nearing expiration date at convenience stores, uh, finding partners to share OTT platform subscriptions and IDs and passwords with, and even using cash when using public transportation. Uh, this allows them to see how much is being spent immediately instead of noticing it all at once when getting their card bills at the end of the month. Yes, this is quite a contrast to tangjinjem, a term from several years ago used to describe the act of spending money on little useless <laughs> things for fun in tune with the uh, sort of YOLO mindset. How is this trend then being interpreted? Well, one expert, Ho kyung professor of consumer science from Sungshin Women's University, says activities like the cash-only challenge came about as a form of necessity in this era of intense inflation. Gradually, it became a type of fun and popular game, and he, and added that if severe inflation continues, more activities and games like this will be developed and popularized. Yes, I guess it's a little sad in one way that rising costs are leading to extreme trends like this, but I guess it's also encouraging to see uh, young people supporting each other in finding ways to be frugal and sensible. Hopefully, though, they're still spending enough to be healthy and safe. Let's uh, move on to our second story now. What do you have for us? An explosive detection dog named Lucky that served as a member of the Taejeon Police Special Operations Unit for over six years passed away last month. And still today, messages of thanks continue to pour in. Yes, I believe he was given a formal burial ceremony on the 25th of last month. And after a clip uh, paying tribute to the fallen hero was uploaded on the police's intranet, messages were left to pay respects to the canine, right? Yes, by Friday there were over 100 messages attached to the clip, many of them giving thanks for Lucky's service and saying how much they will miss him. Those who knew him well wrote teary messages thanking Lucky for not just a stellar performance on the job, but for being by their side to provide moral and emotional support as partner and friend. Born in April 2015, the Melanoise type of Belgian shepherd served as a detection dog for the Dejan Police SOU. He performed outstandingly in over 200 different missions. This June, a strange lump was detected, and later he was diagnosed with leukemia, and the conditions only worsened. He was put to sleep and given an official funeral. Just this year, Lucky seemed to be in peak condition, uh, according to reports, even being rated the second best detection dog in the force. That's right. In the contest that pitted the best detection dogs in the nation's police, Lucky came close to winning it, landing the runner-up honors. So it makes it all the more difficult for those close to him to accept this reality. In more than 200 missions, Lucky saved countless lives, springing to action, putting his life on the line. These include carrying out missions during the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympic Games and the 2019 in Gwangju World Aquatics Championships. Officer Yi Sang-gyu, who worked side-by-side side with Lucky as his main handler, looked back at the time shared with his old partner, saying that he was energetic, outgoing, and extremely playful, uh, yet he never got into confrontations with other canines serving the force or passing by. Yes, it's a very sad story, but uh, Lucky will be fondly remembered. Let's continue on to our last story now. What else has been trending today? 
Im Young-ung, arguably the most popular trot singer in Korea, is going on a nationwide tour and tickets for his Busan concert, which went on sale on Thursday, sold out in a flash. According to his agency, Bulgogi Music, on Friday, the tickets to the Busan stop of his 2023 I'm Hero nationwide tour opened at 8 p.m. and sold out in a blink of an eye. Not surprising, as the same thing happened for his Seoul and Daegu concerts. Yes, I'm sure many listeners are aware, but trot is a uniquely Korean style of music in Korea, popular uh, among the older generation, often bluntly compared to country music in the US, but it certainly has its own unique qualities, shall we say. And Im became one of the biggest stars of the trot scene after winning a singing contest, a trot singing contest on TV in 2020. And we've discussed on the show how there seems to be no end to his popularity. Yeah, there's the star power and the fan base of him is undeniable. You'll see stores popped up uh, in dedication to him everywhere. And most of his fan base are usually people who can afford to spend a lot more. <laughs> usually mothers, uh, ladies who are uh, a little bit up there in age, because usually taught singers that music is, has a fan base of an uh, older generation. Sure. Uh, Im is st- starting his tour on a high note, of course, with his latest single, Do or Die, topping various charts upon release. The tour starts with concerts in Seoul from the 27th of this month at KSPO Dome. The next stop will be Daegu City's Exco, with concerts being held on November 11th, 24th, 25th, and the 26th. And the final stop will be Pexco in Busan on December 8th through the 10th. Another phenomena we've often talked about on the show when these sorts of popular events occur are illegal activities like ticket scalping. I'm sure this is a concern this time too. Yes, the problem arises in the case of two different groups, devoted fans who would do anything to get a ticket and scalpers who know how to take advantage of such fans. Mm. Uh, Im's agency vowed to crack down on ticket resellers. They plan to monitor activities like overcharging people when reselling tickets and take stern measures against offenders. This includes working with ticketing sites to find anything unusual and canceling tickets if anything suspicious is discovered. Well, we certainly hope such issues do not overshadow what promises to be another hit concert by the Trot Star. That's all we have time for on today's Career Trending. Daniel, thank you for the stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. We've come now to our Friday feature, Movie Spotlight, reviewing the latest releases at the Korean box office and online. And we do that with the help of our film critics. First, we have with us Jason Bechevace. Jason, hello. It's good to see you. Uh, hello, Jango. It's great to be here, as always. And we have Mark Raymond here with us as well. Mark, hello. It's great to see you, too. Nice to see you again. Okay, so we're back to reviewing two films again this week, one local and one international. The new major release is the latest Martin Scorsese film, but we'll talk about the local release first this week uh, so we can give the Scorsese film the weight I suspect it deserves. (laughs) So uh, the local release this week is a rom-com called Love Reset, or 30일 in Korean, which means 30 days. Uh, We're actually coming to it a bit late because it was released at the start of the month, but it's still performing well and with no major local release this week. We thought uh, we would spend some time to talk about it. So, Jason, understand that this one is targeting younger crowds. Indeed. Um, You know, rom-coms, of course, uh, both here in Korea and also in Hollywood, have traditionally targeted the 
you know, the, the under 30s uh, and certainly under 40s. But I actually, actually, I saw this film this week with a, a small group of older women, uh, which, <laughs> which was interesting. And they certainly <laughs> seem to be enjoying it. Um, and so, yeah, it reunites uh, Jung Soo-min and Kang Anul. Uh, they both starred uh, in the comedy 20. In this movie, they play uh, a couple. Uh, we see them get married at the beginning of the movie, uh, despite some somewhat comical opposition from, from the parents. Now, fast forward a couple of years, and basically they hate each other's guts. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's really kind of this love-hate relationship uh, taken to the extreme. They settle for divorce. Uh, we see them basically slag each other off at uh, the you know the court uh, house uh, during the hearings, and uh, they subsequently receive a thirty day uh, divorce settlement period. Uh, now, naturally, of course, they get in the car together, and what happens? They're involved in a car accident. So right, okay. Um, and there are so many car accidents in Korean movies, uh, <laughs> and memory loss, and amnesia, and all the rest of it. And so that's what happens here. And so essentially, what happens is they're back at a place where they don't know each other. Uh, and so the family members basically construct a plan to try and uh, finalize their divorce and get them to recall why they hate each other. But will they actually fall in love again? So um, that's pretty much the, the the synopsis there. In a nutshell, it's directed by uh, Nam De Jung. He's made a couple of movies, including uh, The Last Ride. So um, yeah, there you have it. Right, Another quite a on. quite a high concept setup. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> uh, but Mark, let's get straight into it. What mm. do you think? Um, I uh, I like I think romantic. I'm, I'm cool. Yeah, you're yeah. rolling your eyes there. I like romantic comedies, <laughs> and I like I found like the like this is part of like a subgenre of which is like uh, there's a lot of these movies in the 30s and 40s, like these remarriage comedies, where the characters would start being divorced or in the process of getting divorced, and then the movie be about them getting back together. And there's a lot of really great movies in that uh, with that plot. Like His Girl Friday is a famous one, and. Uh, this so this one like has that same some of that same structure brings in like I said the memory loss kind of like almost like a turtle sunshine of the spotless mind kind of idea, uh, but I really was annoyed by this movie for most of it, um, <laughs> especially the first hour. Um, what's because well it's got a, a structure where the first thirty minutes of the movie like there's ten minutes where they're getting married or like their relationship marriage, but then there's twenty minutes where they're like like hating Pickering, each other right? right and that stuff was just didn't work and and yeah so by the time it becomes a romantic comedy which is the last half i disliked it less uh but yeah i really and a lot of it's just the i found it very over directed and very overacted uh by the reformers like yeah, i know that's what they're going for and it's like uh some people prefer that style it just was not the style i prefer so yeah. uh yeah i found it uh, um yeah, uh, fairly weak. I mean, the, some of the supporting performances were better, and uh, in some of those, like once those characters get a bit more involved, and the, the and the plot becomes a bit more beyond just the two of them insulting each other, which is what a lot of the early stuff is. It gets better, but I did I cannot really say I would recommend it. But again, uh, probably I'm not the audience maybe for this movie. <laughs> I, yeah, like, not, I, I, knew, I knew Mark was going to hate this movie. <laughs> Uh, that's why I picked it. It's like yes. we were deciding what films to do. And yeah, I, I, I just wanted to go through some. Yeah. After an hour in, I was almost like, I got to rethink my friendship with Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Making him rewatch this movie. Well, Jason, uh, you might have put Mark through a torturous experience, but how do you find it? 
Yeah, man. Actually, I, I enjoyed it more than Mark. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I agree with many of Mark's points. It is overacted. Although, you know, Korean comedies uh, actually see a lot more kind of dry humor, which I've actually talked about in this show uh, these days, which I think is really interesting. Uh, but, you know, traditionally in Korea, you know, it's slapstick comedy that, that works for audiences here. Uh, that's it's taken to the extreme uh, as, you know, they kind of, you know, insult each other. We've seen that in, in Korean comedies as one comes before. You know, My Sassy Girl is a famous example. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it doesn't have the interesting gender dynamics that I think some of the great Korean rom-coms have, including My Sassy Girl and others. Um but, you know, maybe I was just in the right mood for it. Uh, and, you know, kind of, yeah, it is incredibly generic. You, you know exactly where it's going. Uh, but I can see why audiences want it. And the thing is, the industry needs films to perform. And so this film is performing. It right. is connecting with audiences. Sold and over a million tickets, right? Yeah, it sold uh, yeah, over 1.2. It needs, what, 1.6, I think, to break even. So it's on course to do that. It'll be, I think, the fourth film this year to break even, which is... Which is only pre- the fourth. Yeah, so wow. yeah, smugglers broke even in the summer. Uh, also, uh, sleep as well. There was the ghost station, this horror film that I didn't even know actually broke even, but apparently it did. Um, and yeah, so so few films have, have you know have kind of passed that point where it begins to make money. Uh, Chuseok was an abysmal time for the industry. All the films lost money. Um, Doctor Chun and the Lost Talisman did okay, but it's fell short although it probably will make money on vod Mm. um and so it's 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 performing and so as someone who's watching the industry i find you know comfort in that and uh, sure it's not a film that i know some individuals (laughs) will enjoy (laughs) including mark hence me insisting Mm. we watch this film uh but yeah you know it's it's fine uh but yeah, it's not for everybody. I think we can leave it there. So that was a love reset, and you can still catch it in cinemas currently. So now let's talk about Killers of the Flower Moon, the latest Martin Scorsese film. Here in Korea, it has the rather odd title, Flower Killing Moon. That's the title in Korean, Flower Killing Moon, yeah. which is quite a butchering <laughs> of the original title. doesn't quite work, but anyway. Uh, it is the latest from the acclaimed director, and it has been highly anticipated... Mark, can you set this one up for us? Yeah, this is Scorsese's kind of epic adaptation uh, in both kind of the scale and the, the size of the uh, both the running time and the, uh, and the production as well and the budget of a 2017 nonfiction uh, book uh, detailing that was known by the, in the Osage community as the Reign of Terror, which takes place in, October, in Oklahoma in the 1920s, where the Osage tribe have their land ends up having a lot of oil on it. They become very uh, wealthy. And they, of course, then start getting targeted by these uh, uh, mostly uh, kind of white settlers. uh, And they become the subject of these kind of targeted killings that take place over uh, basically over a decade. And we're not really sure how many. It's definitely in the dozens. It could be in the hundreds uh, because a lot of this was covered up. And this part of American history has often been kind of forgotten. The book mm. kind of brought it back into the kind of uh, public spotlight. Uh, so the film kind of focuses on one character, a man named Ernest uh, Burkhardt, uh, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, who comes to Oklahoma after World War I. Uh, his uncle, who's played by Robert De Niro, is a prominent figure in the local community. And he kind of encourages um, Ernest to marry into the Osage tribe because... Uh, 
uh, he, he is a single man who uh, also uh, doesn't really have any money. And so he ends up marrying this uh, woman named uh, Molly, uh, played by Lily Gladstone. And her family in particular starts to be the target of this mass violence. She loses multiple family members over a short uh, three or four year period. And she begins to suspect perhaps uh, Ernest and his uncle are maybe part of this kind of broader kind of conspiracy that is going on to target this uh, group. Uh, So, yeah, this is... um, um, the film also stars Jesse Plemons as an FBI agent, mm. even though the FBI plot uh, is a big part of the book. It's not as big a part of the movie. That really doesn't come into the last hour or so of the film. And it's also got, I think, a really great uh, musical soundtrack and score uh, by Robbie Robertson, who recently passed away and is a longtime friend of Scorsese's and kind of collaborator uh, with him. So. so that's the setup. Jason, Scorsese. Uh, in his later years, it seems, he's increasingly making these very long, grand-scale projects. His uh, previous, The Irishman, in 2019, that was three hours and 29 minutes long. And this one, it's a little shorter. It's three hours and 26 minutes long. Jason, what do you think of it? Does it deserve the running time? Yeah, I, I had to rush off after this uh, this screening because it was so long. Because uh, I, I had to invigilate in midterms, so I was like, "Why is it so long? Does it have to be this so this long?" And uh, um, even though it started like nine o'clock in the morning or nine ten, it was, I think it was. Um, it, it is a slow burn, but boy, does it simmer. I mean, uh, it, it really kind of gets under your skin by the end of it. In in yeah, in really interesting ways. Uh, Robert De Niro's character is fascinating as is leonardo dicaprio's character as well um but it's yeah so well performed i mean it's so well so well executed as you'd expect you know from uh, a filmmaker like scorsese i like the way it kind of plays with with perspective because it's kind of told from various different perspectives and uh um yeah no it's it's just really well told it's not a film because I went in, I hadn't read the book, I didn't even know much about the book, and uh, I I kind of thought maybe it would be, you know, a, a full-blown thriller, but it's actually not at all. Mm. I mean, it's, you, the killings happen, but they're very, very quick, um, and it doesn't really focus on, on the, the procedural side of things. I mean, Mark mentioned how you've got this FBI agent that comes in quite late in the film. I think Leonardo DiCaprio was actually originally cast for that role, if, I, if I'm well, not makes mistaken. Sense. Like he's the main character of the book. Yeah, he's yeah, the yeah. FBI yeah, agent. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he 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 decided he didn't want he didn't want to play that role. He wants to play uh, the the other role. That I don't. Want to, I'm trying to be careful not to to say too much. But yeah, it's um, it's a really fascinating film. Uh, it left me. I mean, I had to dash off, which is really unfortunate, but because. Because I really wanted to think about it, and I still have been thinking about it. Mm. There's a, there's a lot in the film. You can't, you know, as you again expect from a, a filmmaker like Scorsese, you can't absorb it in, in one viewing. And it's, it's interesting how he talks about, you know, the cinema and how he's fed up with people just watching Marvel films. And mm. The thing is with Marvel films and streaming platforms now, everything's getting longer. And so he's making stuff that's also <laughs> equally, you know, it's actually even longer. Right. And so it's testing, I guess, audiences' patience. And, and that is very much true here. But uh, it, it is a, a remarkable film, and uh, I'll certainly be going back to watch it. Mark, what did you think? I understand that you read the book as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know if I liked it quite as much as Jason on first viewing, um, but uh, I did. Qu- 
quite admire it, especially there's like really great sequences in it for sure. Um, and like I mentioned, I really like the use of music. There's a lot of this kind of blues kind of folk music from the twenties that Scorsese kind of filters in and overlays these kind of really kind of beautiful sequences. And it's got this really great ending as well. This kind yeah. of almost like a self-reflexive kind of ending that kind of mimics like a radio show. And but but again, maybe reading the book, I did find it a bit dramatically flat, maybe because I knew the story a bit. Mm. And I found a few of the scenes, especially the scenes with the Osage tribe. There's quite a bit of those and they come off a bit more maybe wooden. Maybe I don't know if the performances, there was something maybe off there. Uh, but like uh, Jason was mentioning, all of the uh, DiCaprio is really great. De Niro is really great. Uh, Lily Gladstone, as the as his wife, is a, a young actress who's been in a few things, but is uh, equally as as good. And so, and yeah, it does have like a real um, darkness by the end and a real kind of weight to it uh, that is very kind of effective. Uh, and yeah, it's interesting that Scorsese decided to focus on these two characters in the family who are featured, especially in the early parts of the book, but are clearly not the main subject of the book, but it, it makes sense in a way to, because if you turn it into, if you make the FBI agent, the character turns into like a procedural or something right, like that. Right. And that's just not what he's interested in. He was interested much more right. in the human side and in bringing in more of the Osage's story as well. Cause that was a lot of the, kind of controversy around early on in the sure. film. He had meetings with the native, uh, tr the, with the tribe and with the right. leaders and stuff to try to make sure the the movie was told with, uh, you know, their perspective in mind, essentially. Yeah, and th that's what I liked about it, too. Mm. It's, it's uh, we, we get to see it from various right. different viewpoints, in a sense. Mm. And, and that's one of the reasons why it's so long. Yes. <laughs> but I guess uh, it's a film to admire more than enjoy, perhaps? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there are moments of humour, I found, okay. actually. Oh. So it, it does have enjoyable moments, but yes, it, uh, yes. it's quite demanding on the viewer. Yes. Okay, we're going to have to wrap it up there. We've been talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. That's all for Movie Spotlight this week. Jason, Mark, as always, thank you for your reviews, and we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, take care. Thank you. I'm Leanne Kim of the hip-hop group Ajima EXP. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. time now for our Friday closing segment next week from Seoul where we look at what's coming up in the days ahead. Joining me in the studio now for that it is our staff editor Richard Larkin. Richard hello it's good to see you. Hello good to see you too. Okay, so what's the first thing we should look out for next week? Well, President Yoon Suk-yeol will become the first South Korean president to make state visits to Saudi Arabia and Qatar. According to Principal Deputy National Security Advisor Kim Tae-hyo on Thursday, Yoon will be in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia from Saturday to Tuesday and in Doha, Qatar from Tuesday to Wednesday. He will be accompanied by First Lady Kim Goni. In both countries, the South Korean president will be looking to boost economic and security ties and discuss the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. First in Riyadh, Yoon will hold a summit with the Saudi Crown Prince and Prime Minister Mohammed bin Salman. He will also attend a South Korea-Saudi Arabia investment forum and give a lecture to students at King Saud University. 
then in Doha, he will hold talks with Qatari Emir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad al-Thani. The visit comes as the two countries are set to mark the 50th anniversary of establishing diplomatic relations next year. Yes, this visit comes at a highly volatile time for the region, of course. Uh, Yun will be looking to try and shore up relations, and the messaging that comes out of the summits will be closely watched. Let's continue on. What's the next thing we should look out for? South Korea, the United States and Japan plan to conduct a joint aerial exercise for the first time near the Korean Peninsula. In the past, there have been drills involving South Korea and the US and the US and Japan, but all three countries have never participated together at the same time. The participating nations are looking to strengthen coordination against North Korea's nuclear and missile threats. The aerial exercise is expected to take place on Sunday, and it will involve a US B-52 strategic bomber, which landed in the country earlier this week. It is capable of carrying nuclear weapons. As ever, we'll have to brace for reaction from Pyongyang as well. And finally, what's the last thing we should keep an eye out for next week? The 2022 Asian Para Games will kick off on Sunday in Hangzhou, China. The competition is held every four years after every Asian Games for athletes with physical disabilities. Over 3,000 athletes are expected to compete across 22 sports, and it is also seen as the last chance for many to fully prepare for the Paris 2024 Paralympics. South Korea has 208 athletes competing in 21 out of the 22 sports this year, so they're not perform- they have no athletes in blind football. And Para Taekwondo will make its Asian Games debut in Hangzhou after it had a successful debut at the Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games. So this might be one of the sports to keep an eye out for, as it is expected to be one of the major highlights at the competition next week. Right, that's where we'll wrap it up. Richard, thank you for those previews, and we'll see you next week. Have a nice weekend. That's all from us here on Career 24 for another week. We'll be back on Monday, so do join us again then to continue to get your daily dose of Korean news analysis. Till then, we hope you have a great weekend. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. Don't even think about checking that message or texting back. Did you know it only takes three seconds after a driver's attention has been diverted from the road for a crash to occur? Texting while driving is six times more likely to cause an accident than driving under the influence of alcohol. Sending or reading a text message causes drivers, on average, to take their eyes off the road for five seconds. When driving at 80 kilometers per hour, that means that drivers travel approximately the length of a football field with their eyes closed. At KBS World Radio, we value our listeners' safety and well-being. If you're listening to our programs while driving via your mobile device, please hit play before you set off on your journey. If you receive a message or call while driving, either use a hands-free Bluetooth device to respond or wait until you've arrived at your destination. You're not just putting your life at risk. Distracted driving accounts for approximately 25% of all motor vehicle crash fatalities. Arrive alive.
KBS World Radio.